Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. This evening we're going to look at Revelation chapter 20. So let's let's read that passage together. Revelation 20, starting to read at verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked the seal, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle in number. They are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. The city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night for ever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Shall we pray? Our Father, we acknowledge that this is a very difficult passage for us to understand, but our Father, we just pray that you will guide us through it, and that you will not discourage us, but by it we will be encouraged. And our Father, we just ask your blessing upon us as we gather together in this way around your word, and we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the book of Revelation, as you know, it's what we call an apocalyptic book. It's a book of prophecy, describing the end of the world's history as we know it. Now, on our journey so far through this book, we've seen that a lot of the language is what we call figurative and symbolic, and we have many references to both the Old and the New Testament. Now, this book is not a stand-alone book. It's not a book that should be ignored or avoided. It's intrinsically linked to the rest of Scripture. Therefore, Scripture is where we should go in order to seek the answers, answers that will help us understand what this book has to say. 
So I'm going to quote a very well-known verse that we quote many times, and it's very applicable uh, throughout the whole of Scripture because that's what it's speaking about. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and it tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is leading up to the end times. Now, these verses in Revelation that we've read, Revelation chapter 20, they have been the subject of endless speculation down the centuries. We have here in chapter 20 the only part of Scripture that refers to a thousand-year period of time that is known to us as the millennium. Now, this doesn't mean that it's not important. It is part of God's Word. It's part of God's written word, so we must approach it as we approach the rest of Scripture. But, having read that this evening, there's no surprise that the words of Revelation will pose a challenge to all who read it, in particular this chapter 20. As a Bible-believing Christian, we may differ over the interpretation of this passage. But whatever our view is, it must affirm the truths that are held within this book of Revelation and within the rest of Scripture. Christ is ruler over all things. He is the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will one day return as the bridegroom to take his church home and he must judge the world. And we as believers must be ready as we await his return. Now, I I want us this evening to briefly consider the three main thoughts that believers have on the thousand-year period, a period that is mentioned here in Revelation 20. Now, if you find it hard to fully understand it, then you're in good company. You're in the company of people such as Augustine, way back in 354, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and many other great men of the Reformation, up to the prominent godly Bible commentary writers and teachers of our day. But like them, we must keep in mind the words of Jesus as he spoke to his disciples after his resurrection. So I want us to turn to the book of Acts, the first chapter in Acts, and just look at verse 3 through to 11. And I've sort of headed this little bit, we won't know everything. So let's just read that. And I want you to listen to the words that are spoken here and listen to them in relation to what we're looking at this evening. This is Jesus speaking. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, that is the disciples, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, 
which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but a few, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now at that point, the disciples asked a question, and listen to the question that they, they asked. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to rescue the? Uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay, that was their question. But listen to the answer that Jesus gave. He said to them, "It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority." Then he goes on and he speaks of the one who will be their helper and the the commission that they will have. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then as Jesus continues, he's speaking about the promise. He said, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So there's the promise. Jesus was saying to them and to us, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. So, to help us in our approach to Revelation 20, I want to just spend a little bit of time, I want to give you a very basic overview of the three main thoughts on the thousand years. We have what we call premillennium, postmillennium, and a millennium. Let's just think about them for a moment. You see, the pre-millennialist is the thought that Christ will return before the millennium period and that the events of chapter 20 follow chronologically on from chapter 19. And during this literal thousand years, Christ will rule on earth as king of kings. Some pre-millennialists interpret that during this time, Christ will restore Israel, and after the thousand-year period, Christ will administer the final judgment. So that's pre-millennium. Post-millennium. Post-millennium is, is that Christ will return after the millennium. The reference to a thousand years being symbolic of a greater period of time, a time that started with the death and resurrection of Jesus and will end with the second coming. They feel that during that time, which is referred to as being the church age, there will be a world response to the gospel and that many from Israel will be drawn to Christ and there will be a time of peace. And after this, Christ will return and the final judgment will take place. So, a millennialism. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be a millennium. There still is this thousand-year period. But a millennium says that but Christ will return after the millennium. 
And like post-millennial thinkers, they see the thousand years as being symbolic of the church age, again, that starts at the death and resurrection of Jesus and then continues until his return. But unlike post-millennials, they see that the church will continue to suffer through that church period and that that suffering will increase until Christ returns. And then there'll be a general resurrection and the last judgment will take place and the new heaven and new earth will be established. Now then, whichever one of these three main views we take, as I've already said, we must take it with the words of Jesus in mind and in what the rest of Scripture says, both Old and New Testament. Now, we've already this evening looked at what Luke said in Acts chapter 1, so I want us just to listen to what Matthew has to say in Matthew 13, verse 32 through to 37. But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So this verse is telling us that we're not meant to know everything. So why should we worry if we, we don't understand everything? Then the verse goes on, verse 33. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So, again, we don't know exactly how these things will happen. We don't know when they will happen. But we are called to be ready. Now, at that point in this passage, Mark tells us that, uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus uh, brings a parable, a parable to explain these things that he's saying. So listen to this parable, verse 34 through to 37. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So here's a call for us to be watchful. Verse 35. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at night or when the cock crows or at dawn. So, Aphes is saying, we know that these things will happen, but not when they will happen. Verse 36 and 37. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now we know that Jesus ascended into heaven and that one day he will return. And in the meantime, we, as his followers, are to be watchful. So, listen to what Paul said on this issue when he spoke to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15 through to 20 and 28. Let me just read those words and think of them again in the context of what we're considering this evening. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. And when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, 
for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this doesn't include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So, after that, what might be a long introduction, um, I want us to think seriously about these things and I want to take certain things on board and now as we come to the point where I want us to look at chapter 20 but with just a few comments to help us to continue to think about what is being said not just here in this passage but also in the whole book of Revelation and in the Old and the New Testament so let's just briefly look at verse 1 to 3 of chapter 20 and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must, put, he must be set free for a short time. Now, what do we know from what we have read in Revelation? And what do we know about the days in which we live? Well, we know that Satan has been and still is out to deceive the church. And he's still out to deter people from the gospel. We also know that his power to do this has been limited. God has restrained him. Satan might be able to hurt the believer, but God has sealed his people, and that seal of salvation cannot be broken. Satan can't do that. God has restrained him. We come to Colossians 2 verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. We know that by his sacrificial death and resurrection, Jesus defeated death. That's a verse from 1 John 3 verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You see, sin brings with it the need for judgment. There's a verse from Luke 10, 38. Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Let's move on to verse 4 and 6 of chapter 20. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God and they hadn't worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. The second death has no power over them but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. I want us to go to Romans chapter 6 now. This is a great chapter to look at, but I just want to quote uh, one verse 
That's verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus secured victory over the devil. And we now know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the giver of new life. You must be born again. And this is for those who believe in him. John 3, this time verse 36 of John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Eternal life is secured for the believer who has died in Christ. John 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will be judged, but has crossed over and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Let me read that again. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. See, the second death has no power over the believer. Let's look at verse 7 through to 10. When a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle in number. They are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, this is the final judgment. And this passage raises many questions about the times and dates of the last day. And this brings us back to the words of Jesus. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. As Christians, we must accept the fact that some things are beyond our understanding. This is an evidence of the nature of who God is. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present with us. Us not knowing everything in detail should be an incentive for us to continue searching the scriptures with the help of the one who is the Holy Spirit. Remember the words of Jesus at the beginning of Revelation to the seven churches who are representative of God's true church. The church at Ephesus Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. To the church at Smyrna, again in chapter 2 of Revelation, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The church of Pergamon, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And then he said to the church at Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The record of the visions that John saw while on the Isle of Patmos are to be for us an encouragement as we watch and wait in anticipation for the return of Jesus. I want us for this evening just to finish there and we will continue with this uh, chapter next time. But just for this evening, I want to finish with a, a quote on Revelation 20 from Barry Cooper, uh, who, along with Rico Tice, wrote Christianity Explored. He says, The promise that the end is coming really ought to motivate us to go into the world with urgency and make disciples, telling our friends that there is freedom and joy and safety in Christ alone. As Jesus said himself, it's not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this part of the passage that we've looked at this evening. We ask that you will just open our eyes to the things we've already read in this book of Revelation and that they will help us to uh, understand more of these things that we find difficult. But our Father, just remind us that we shouldn't worry about not understanding them completely because we are not meant to know everything. And our Father, we just pray that you will reveal to us what you want us to know that might be a benefit to us and that might bring you glory as we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, next time we'll finish off that chapter, chapter 11 through to, to the end. And then um, we'll go into the final two chapters. And there in chapter 21, we're going to hear about a new heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb. And in chapter 22, Eden restored, John and the angel, and an invitation with a warning. So that's next time. Take care. God bless.